Welcome back to Stream Again, the TV and streaming podcast that wants to bundle itself up with you, dear listener. It's a cozy month, the holidays are here, and in this episode, we will be discussing so many different ways you can bundle your streaming services. See what I did there? I am your host, Chris Barlow, and I am bundled, as always, with Diane Nora. How you doing, Diane? Uh, every day I'm bundling, Chris. Bundling, bundling. So many different ways to bundle. It's almost like cable, but not quite. And we will get to that a little bit later. But also, we're going to get to two exciting reviews where we are both revisiting uh, a favorite and franchises and favorite franchises all in once. And we're even, uh, once again, talking about a movie at the end of the episode. So brace yourselves. Because later in this episode, we are going to revisit The Golden Bachelor, which just completed its uh, spectacular first season. I'm going to just say it. Spectacular first season by Bachelor standards. That is a caveat for those listening at home. And then, also, The Marvels, the movie from Disney that you, dear listener, did not see. I am told with authority that you did not go see it, but Diane and I, we met in real life for the first time ever, and we saw it. It was a pleasure to meet you and watch a pretty good movie. What a rave review of meeting me. (laughs) More importantly, (laughs) listeners, we're going to tell you all about it and what we think it means uh, for the discourse around the Marvel MCU universe. It's like saying ATM machine. But first, we have some follow-up to get to, and we're going to roll right into it uh, because, of course... I have a new sound effect, a sound effect for one of our favorite uh, giant corporate conglomerates to talk about. It is finally a new sound effect for Warner Brothers Discovery. And I chose it because the big scary news, if you love old cartoons, was that Warner Brothers was going to get rid of the Looney Tunes. Because why not? In David Zaz's universe, you would believe that they'll cut anything. Well, particularly with the news earlier this fall that they were scrapping the film Coyote versus Acme, uh, which now they have said they're allowing the filmmakers to sell it elsewhere. Um, we still haven't figured out where that will land yet. It hasn't been announced if it will find a place to stream. But, I mean, it seemed like the Looney Tunes were on the chopping block. And so quickly, they reversed course on those rumors. And the, the rumors were founded in some, like, piece of text from Warner Brothers Discovery that suggested they were pulling the Looney Tunes from Max. It wasn't just unfounded gossip. It was, once again, a self-inflicted wound from the king of self-inflicted wounds himself, David Saslov. He needs to be more careful. Watch some Shark Week. Please watch some Shark Week. But unfortunately, if you, listener, are someone who very much enjoys Shark Week and has enjoyed Shark Week for a very long time and for some reason enjoys watching Shark Week on your Sony PlayStation, well, then I have some very bad news for you because we're moving into some new, strange, but specific uh, Warner Brothers disco news. So let's play the disco sound, too. You see, that's how we transition from the Warner side of the conglomerate to the disco side of the conglomerate. Because Discovery is uh, some, you know, a purveyor of many, many television programs, including the entire Shark Week oeuvre. 
And for years and years and years, dedicated disco fans could purchase individual episodes of these Discovery programs to watch in the comfort of their own home on their Sony PlayStation Entertainment device. And this, I know, thanks to an article from Kotaku, is something you could do on a PlayStation as far back as 2008. And then later, in an Ars Technica article, I learned that they stopped doing that in 2021. So about two years ago, PlayStation said, you know what, the streaming universe has arrived, and we are tired of selling you individual episodes of, like, you know, Alaska Ice Road Warriors uh, on your PlayStation. But you can, you know, keep that content in your Sony PlayStation movie and TV library and keep watching it. Until now. Because uh, Sony began emailing customers this past week to inform them that at the end of this calendar year, December 31st, they will lose access to all Discovery content in their PlayStation library. It will be Thanos-snapped out of existence, Diane. That's deeply upsetting, I think, for people who thought that they were thinking ahead on streaming and saying, oh, I'm going to have digital access, even if I don't have like a physical copy of this media in terms of like a, a DVD or a, at one point there were tapes yeah, <laughs> that yeah. people watched things on. <laughs> you it, know, even if I don't have physical media, I have a digital download and so I can still have this. Um, that you These people paid for it for this content. Yeah, and a lot of the reactions from people who own, quote-unquote, own this content, is this is exactly why they bought it this way, was they thought it meant they owned it in perpetuity and would not be beholden to the whims of a streaming service that can pull content at random and, and you know, again, snap it out of existence. The problem is, what you really paid for was the right to download and view this content whilst Sony and Discovery had a licensing agreement. And that licensing agreement, per a very, very dry support article on Sony's website, is changing. It says, as of December 31st, due to our content licensing arrangements with content providers, you will no longer be able to watch any of your previously purchased Discovery content, and the content will be removed from your video library. It is a single sentence that contains the word content more times than any sentence ever should. Oh, dear. I think um, one thing that this may signal is that just... uh the reality market is really struggling right now. And so a lot of these discovery shows, we may see the rights to them move or move from streaming permanently. Yeah, there isn't a clear answer as to who decided to change the uh, licensing arrangements. But the strong assumption here is this is discovery either wanting to extract more residual value from these or there is some syndication cost, essentially, that they want to eliminate. And so they either said to Sony, pay us more, or maybe they said to Sony, we don't even want to deal with getting more money for for this. We, we want anyone who wants this so badly needs to stream it in Discovery Now, or better yet, the Max app. Feel like this would have been a bigger scandal as a story if more people had purchased this content. You know, and it is uh, not to judge anyone who enjoys the fine discovery programs such as Bitchin' Rides Seasons 1 through 4 or Boss Hog Season 1, 
Well, you know, great. I love that you love that. But I, I think you are being identified as a pretty niche group of mm. people who purchased this on their Sony PlayStation. And so I, any blowback, I imagine they thought was worth the risk. Right. And it's always, you know, it seems minor until that's your niche. <laughs> and suddenly your favorite show is gone, you know. All your favorite seasons of Cake Boss, from Cake Boss Season 1 to something labeled Cake Boss Season 99. This article on the Sony support site scrolls forever in my web browser. I am just scrolling at random and landed on Rebel Gold Season 1 or Redwood Kings Seasons 1 through 2. What about the four seasons of Return to Amish? What will you do if you can't watch those on your PlayStation 3? Perhaps get a Mac subscription. I believe that is the answer from David Zaslav and company. And I bring this up as well because we are about to talk about how all of these streamers are investigating and launching new bundling opportunities because they sense that people are hitting peak subscription. They do not want to be beholden to all of these subscriptions that sometimes don't have anything they want to watch. And sometimes they have a thing you want to watch and they take it away from you. And sometimes you forget you've been paying for it for months. And all of that frustrates people. And so there is a, you know, a movement. You can find these people on TikTok who who are like, no, I want to buy my content again. TikTokers who did not live through the hell of rewinding VHS tapes saying, I think physical media is due for a comeback. And and the, the key takeaway here is, yeah, it needs to be physical media. If you want to own it, you need to own a physical object that you can hold and touch and clutch close to your chest so that David Zaslav cannot take it away from you. Uh, now's the time to get that um, DVD from the discount bin at Walmart with your Walmart Plus subscription. <laughs> Oh my gosh, and with your Walmart Plus subscription, you could stream so many great shows. We're going to talk about it. Uh, before we get to Bundle Gate, Bundle Apocalypse, uh, I, I did want to point out a very tangentially related story I saw in the lovely Numlock News newsletter that we mention here from time to time. A musical star, Garth Brooks, is releasing a new album, and wouldn't you know it, he is releasing it as a physical-only exclusive release on a CD box set, and in order to get Garth Brooks' new album, you will need to go to a Bass Pro Shop to buy a seven-album box set for $29.99, which is someone who grew up in the era of CDs, $29.99 for a seven-CD box set is a good deal. It really is. Uh, the Bass Pro Shop, I, I know that there's one that's shaped like a giant pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee. I don't know where else there is one. There are apparently 177 of them. Oh, well, that's reassuring. Right? So many ways to get your Garth Brooks fix. And the best part of that story that I love is because it's a seven-album box set, it will account as seven album sales when you buy it. So Garth Brooks has encountered this brilliant way to juice his album sales, which in an era of streaming music where album sales can barely move the needle on your income and most musicians just have to tour to make any income, he has gone in the complete opposite direction and gone all in on juicing the album sales for physical media. Even if you purchase this, that also means you need to have some sort of device that can play CDs. I know, I mean, my laptop doesn't have a disc player, 
as part of it. Many cars don't anymore. I know, but I assume the Bass Pro Shops have got you handled with a rugged Walkman. Everything analog is back? Everything analog that is of dubious actual quality. Because CDs, uh, sure, they're, they're better than tapes. Are they the best? Questions. Questions that we will not answer, and I do not need your feedback about, but I would like to hear from you anyway. Podcast at streamageddon.com. Always welcome to be lectured to by an audiophile. Great news for Garth Brooks and Chris Gaines. Sure, I'll embrace it. Bring it on. And you know what else I want to bring on? Some new news about one of our uh, favorite streamers. You know them well as Peacock. In fact, 30 million of you know them well as Peacock because uh, Comcast is thrilled to announce Peacock is up to 30 million paying subscribers. Congratulations, Peacock. I was really prepared to think that this was an impressive number. It was more than I was expecting. More than I was expecting because, as we might remember, they eliminated their free tier. So this is 30 million people giving them money. And over the summer, they eliminated the deal where Comcast and Xfinity subscribers got Peacock bundled in with their cable subscription. They they turned to them and said, this is the anti-bundle, baby. You want to stream Bravo, not on your cable subscription? Well, you got to pay. You want to stream SNL next day? You got to pay. But they were on strike at the time, so it seemed like a really ridiculous idea. Now, those things are back, and I get it, sure, okay. And 30 million people apparently want to pay. That's that's a decent number of people. I mean, it's no comparison to Netflix or... <laughs> not just is it no comparison Hulu. to Netflix or Hulu, it's not even a comparison to Paramount+. Plus Because we to do a little research for you, dear listener, we looked up the latest subscriber numbers for Paramount+, Plus, which is often grouped in with Peacock as a, I don't know, man, where's this gonna go, streaming service. And Paramount+, Plus is up to 63 million subscribers, thanks in some part to them uh, merging and squishing the Showtime subscriber numbers into Paramount+, Plus when they turned Showtime into the ghost of Showtime. But... Uh, that That is honestly a higher number than I expected for Paramount+. Plus. And then it made me look back at that 30 million for Peacock and go, oh, still only? Still only, right. It really changes your perspective when you hear those numbers that Paramount Plus is pulling in. Yeah, uh, but but still, good news for Peacock. They're, they're happily announcing it. So why don't we give them the win? Yeah, I Peacock Peacock. Who, who doesn't peacock peacock in some way? And they were excited to tell us what that financially means. The, these statements came from Peacock CFO, uh, Mike Cavanaugh, and the average revenue per user is a very important metric for these companies, especially streaming services, uh, also known as the ARPU. And the ARPU Peacock wants to tout is $10 a month. So that's on average, a user of Peacock is giving them $10 a month. Well, how does that break down in the the subscription numbers? They are never going to tell us how many are paying for each tier. That is sacrosanct. Instead, we will divine some information here. The basic Peacock tier with ads is $5.99 a month. The premium plus tier without ads is $11.99 a month. 
That means most likely the majority of Peacock users are on the free the free tier. It's five ninety nine a month. The five ninety nine <laughs> a month tier, where they are being shown ads and then making more money for Peacock on those ad views. It is unlikely that there is such a large number of ad-free Peacock subscribers that the average revenue would be pulled that far up. It is way more likely that they're actually making good ad money on the people on the five ninety nine tier. And that seems to be a trend that we've seen across the streaming services, too, where these um, ad tiers seem to be lucrative. Again, we don't have that much data on this, uh, only what they're willing to share with us. But it seems that um, these new ad plans are are making them some money. It seems to be the case. And as we get into uh, our many bundles that we are about to discuss, our bundles of joy, uh, we're going to realize most of them want you to get the ad tier. Yeah, that's a hint. Uh, The other fun fact that Mike Cavanaugh tossed out, uh, and this is quoted in The Hollywood Reporter, quote, we collected an eight and a half billion dollar check on Friday. And then he emphasized that the check cleared. What is that for, my friends? It's for Hulu. Farewell, Hulu. I did like uh, the Hollywood Reporter's note that it was actually likely a wire transfer. (laughs) I was picturing one of those giant publisher's clearinghouse checks being handed over to Bob Iger. Congratulations. Here's a down payment. I'm sorry, Bob Iger is handing it over to Mike Roberts, uh, Mike Cavanaugh. There's a lot of mics at Hulu, uh, at Comcast. I know my streaming services. And I know that they should be doing business in giant celebrity check. I, I agree. I, I would like to see it. This is, of course, just essentially a down payment for the remainder of Hulu because Disney and uh, Comcast are still negotiating the final price. But the minimum was eight and a half billion. So they handed over the bare minimum to say it's happening. The, the Hulu apocalypse is here, baby. And again, that may end up being significantly more. It will depend how those independent uh, assessors end up evaluating Hulu. And of course, we will tell you all about those juicy independent assessors here on Streamageddon. (laughs) But right now, we have a, a deliciously meaty topic bundled up with a lot of interesting and uh deeply complicated details for you because yes we're here to talk to you all about bundles or as some people might refer to them or at least i'm going to refer to them a fire sale oh my god we're having a fire sale because you can save so much money when you bundle services together as long as you understand what is going on which is the big catch with most of these. And in many cases, why are you bundling these things together? I don't entirely understand. But I I think it's fair to say, Diane, bundles are the the buzzword right now. Yeah. um, Matt Bellany predicted that 2024 would be the year of the streaming bundle. I believe that's what he called it. Yeah. And and, uh, he argued a very thoroughly, successfully on his podcast, The Town, that customers uh, have some tolerance for bundles and they have a familiarity and a kind of a built-up habit, at least if you were of a certain age, because what was cable but a massive bundle that people readily paid for for decades 
for decades, we were like, yeah, all the channels get bundled together. You either have the, like, three free channels, or you have all the channels. That was it. And the bundle was cable. And sometimes it does simplify from a billing experience, I think, f- as a customer to know, like, okay, I'm paying, you know, eighty nine ninety nine a month for cable versus saying I'm paying $20 to Netflix and 13 to Hulu. And then it a bunch of services adding up to be the same cost, at some point, it may just be easier to say, well, I'm a Verizon user, so I can bundle in my streaming services with my Verizon bill. I'm not a Verizon user, so I'm not going to buy this bundle. Are ah, you? No, no. I'm an AT&T stan, and I can't get same. anything bundled anymore because they sold Warner to, to David Zaslav. But we'll get to that. Uh, th- there's one thing you called out there that I want to pick pick at for a second, which is what does it simplify? Because it, it simplifies billing. You're correct. Bundling it together might save you some money if they're services you would otherwise pay for individually. And more importantly, maybe for the psychological component, is it simplifies the billing. I don't have two bills or three bills. I have one bill. The thing it does not fix that I think is the bigger lingering problem with the streaming universe as a user experience and the thing that cable really solved at the end of the cable heyday is browsing across services or browsing across quote unquote networks because cable eventually got so advanced that you had that magic guide button that brought up a universal guide a beautiful grid of channels and times where you could see everything on everything in one place and none of the bundles that we are about to discuss none of them solve that not a single one of them disney is is tantalizing us with the idea that they might maybe solve this for disney plus and hulu and we're all holding our breath because there's so many questions about how they'll execute that and personally when i go into the disney plus app I I do not like the experience of finding things in it, and I am worried they're going to cram Hulu into the Disney Plus app as a tile next to Marvel. And while there is a large amount of Marvel content, Hulu is massive. You need a much broader interface and more ways to find stuff, let alone then comparing that to what's on Max, what's on Netflix, what's on Peacock. None of that cross-service stuff has been solved. No, and it gets more confusing when different content moves from streamer to streamer. Sometimes, you know, after only a month or so, um, we saw that happen with the Mario movie. (laughs) I I was going to say the Harry Potter movies that constantly roam from Peacock to Max to Peacock. They're just like ghosts in the halls of Hogwarts passing through walls. I mean, eventually you think uh, Max is going to want to have those exclusively if they're going to create a new Harry Potter series, but we'll see about that. One would think. But (laughs) speaking of Max, let's talk about this hot new bundle. Bundle number one, baby. That is the hotly anticipated new Verizon bundle. It is 
Max and Netflix in a single bundle. And this is exciting news because Netflix has generally resisted being bundled with another streaming service. And so it is a big move for Netflix to agree to be bundled with Max. But to be clear, this is not something you can just go buy. You have to be a Verizon customer with the correct kind of Verizon plan. And if you are, Verizon will sell you this bespoke bundle of Netflix and Max for $10 a month, which is a good price, but with a big caveat that you are getting the ad-supported versions of both. Right. So you couldn't use this bundle and have Netflix premium, which... Nope. Or the 4K content on either platform, because those are gated to the the premium subscriptions. And there is no like, oh, can I give you $5 a month more for that? No. This is take it or leave it. This is the offer. And I think that's the only reason that Netflix agreed to this. I agree. I think so, too. Uh, Max has got a lot to gain. Netflix has got a little to gain. And I think this is a good way for them to test the waters around bundling. Yeah, I think that compared to the other streamers, Netflix is less concerned about churn. And their like, group that they might be worried about churn probably are these people that are going to be getting the ad-supported group anyways or the ad-supported tier anyways. Yeah, this could be a play to uh, re-engage lapsed Netflix subscribers in some way. Uh, There's certainly, again, if you're a Verizon customer and you want both Netflix and Max and you don't care about ads or 4K content, if all of that Venn diagram overlap is you in the middle, then this is a good deal. You would uh, save $7 a month. Other, you know, $7 a month life-changing? Um, maybe, maybe not. It's, you know, uh, $84 a year. Okay, that's not nothing. If you are budgeting and you are trying to squeeze your streaming budget and you magically qualify for this and want it, you would save $84 a year. Great. And again, I do think that simplification of a few fewer bills to track doesn't hurt. Yeah, and that's the other play there. What I would say, and where my resistance comes from, is I am generally resistant to bundling anything with my wireless provider because it is another lock-in mechanism for Verizon. What's in this for Verizon? Well, if I'm getting my Netflix and my Macs through my Verizon subscription and I'm thinking about switching to AT&T, I'm less likely to do that because I would have to cancel my Netflix and Mac subscriptions, set up new, more expensive ones, and AT&T does not offer that bundle, so I'd be paying more. Uh, no, I certainly won't be taking them up on this offer, but it's uh, interesting to see that Netflix has agreed to it. It's also interesting from a historical perspective because, of course, Max, originally HBO Max, was a big throw-in premium bundly thing for AT&T customers for a while. Because the whole gambit when AT&T bought uh, Warner Media at the time, it was called Warner Media, uh, the whole gambit was they thought, you know what, we're going to make AT&T customers really want to stay with AT&T by finding ways to incentivize or bundle this premium streaming content from HBO and company through the HBO Max app. Different times. Well, and at one time, Verizon was basically offering Disney Plus for free. 
Yeah, so much of the early Disney Plus subscription numbers came from either people who bought Disney's ridiculously underpriced pay-in-advance deal, where you were essentially getting three or two years of Disney Plus at an absurdly low rate, or they were getting it essentially for free through Verizon. I am glad you mentioned Disney Plus and Verizon, because there is still a way to get a bundle of Disney Plus with your Verizon plan. So if you are a Verizon customer, and you love Verizon, or you at least have you've been locked in so hard, you're never going to leave, you could really consolidate a lot of your streaming with Verizon, and you would, again, technically save money. But again, there are a bunch of caveats to this. So Verizon still offers a Disney bundle for $10 a month. So for $20 a month, you could have Netflix, Max, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+. And for $20 a month on the surface... That is a good price for those four streaming services and also ESPN Plus is there. Uh, But there, again, are some extremely specific details. So the Disney bundle that Verizon offers, $10 a month, gets you Disney Plus ad-free, Hulu with ads, and then ESPN Plus, which uh, has ads. That is, according to Verizon, a $9 a month savings over buying those individually. But also, literally, you cannot buy that bundle from Disney. Disney sells many different uh, streaming bundles for Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+. None of them are that weird mishmash of ad-free and with ads. So the, the only close things that they offer is a trio. The Disney trio is $14.99 a month, and that includes ads on all of them. Or there's the Disney Trio Premium, which has no ads on Disney Plus and Hulu and is $24.99 a month. And then, again, ESPN Plus is also there. Uh, Both of those are more expensive than $10 a month. So if you are a Verizon customer, the the cheapest way to get those bundles is with this Disney bundle for $10 a month. But you will get the Hulu with ads, and there is no way to get the Hulu without ads. I watch Hulu with ads. It's not bad. I watch Hulu with ads, too. That And Hulu does ads more seamlessly or more, uh, at least less annoyingly than some of the other streamers. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I think this but this bundle makes more sense to me as a consumer than, than the Netflix one. Uh, yeah, I would agree. This one is more logical. At least the price difference makes a lot more sense on the surface. The details were a little confusing. But uh, if you want those services especially just Disney Plus and Hulu, this is the cheapest way to bundle Disney Plus and Hulu. It's just you also have to have a Verizon plan that is of a certain level. Again, so many details. But we're not done with confusing ways to bundle your streaming services. Diane, I have a question for you on this one, because Hulu used to have a bundle with Spotify. Do you still get the Hulu-Spotify bundle? I don't, but it was a deal, let me tell you, because I was getting Hulu for free with my Spotify premium. Uh, But I canceled Spotify um, around the time that Joe Rogan was up to some nonsense and switched to a competitive uh, music streamer. So I now pay for Hulu with ads individually for $7.99 a month. Right, and and I know people who have thought about 
either trying to change their Spotify or Hulu subscription and have found out that if you are grandfathered into that uh, Spotify Hulu deal, you can't change anything or you lose it. Mm -hmm. And price-wise, if you really want both music streaming and Hulu, it's a good deal. But obviously they realized it was too good of a deal and they cut it off. Unless you're a student, because I googled this again and I discovered that there is still a uh, Spotify-Hulu deal, but only for students... And it is a good deal. It's five ninety nine a month, which like great. But y- you have to be a student. You have to subscribe to Spotify Premium, and then you'll get Hulu with ads, but no Disney Plus. And at that point, if you also really want Disney Plus, it might make more sense to do one of the other bundles, like the Disney Duo, which I did not mention because there are Duo plans that are cheaper than the Trio plans. Or maybe you're a Verizon customer and can do our aforementioned mutant bundle of ads, no ads, and ESPN is also there. Yeah, I mean, those are also good options. I really think you just need to have a student email. So if you have a .edu email and that Spotify deal is calling your name, you didn't hear it from me, but I think you could get away with it. But yeah, uh, do you want to pay for Spotify anyway? No. Eh. Eh, that's not even the thing that is most confusing to pay for here. Because what if you are a big Walmart fan and you love your Walmart Plus? And for those of you who are uh, coastal elites like ourselves, Walmart Plus is like Amazon Prime, but for the rest of the country. So you get free shipping on stuff? Uh, Yeah, essentially it is uh, Amazon Prime similar. Free shipping and other benefits like that, uh, two-day and stuff like that. And also Paramount Plus. Because sure, why not? Why not get Paramount Plus with your Walmart Plus? They both have plus in the name. Match made in heaven. Yeah, I mean, I do know Walmart stay open across the country, right? Somebody's shopping there. Oh, absolutely. And uh, uh, once again, devil is in the details. The Walmart Plus subscription with Paramount Plus. It's just so many words with plus at the end. Um, Gets you the base level Paramount Plus. So Yes ads, no Showtime. And once again, I looked up the support document. It's like, what if I want Showtime? You can't. You just have to then go to Paramount Plus and pay them full price for Paramount Plus with Showtime. Have a nice day. Yeah, so then that's no, no longer a deal for you at all. Correct. And of course, this strategy is more or less identical to Amazon, which bundles a streaming service you may have heard of called Prime Video with Amazon Prime. This is not a revolutionary idea. It's just Amazon's kept it all with their in-house brand, so to speak. And so it is less obvious, maybe. But if you're a longtime Amazon Prime member, you've been getting a streaming service bundled all this time. You can buy Prime Video by itself. I don't know what kind of maniac does, but it is technically sold alone, and your Prime subscription bundles it in for you. Fascinating. I always kind of considered it free. I know, right? And that's what they want you to think. That's what all mm-hmm. these bundles want you to think. They want you to think, yeah, but that's where I get my Paramount Plus for free. Well, it's not for free. You're paying for it. And then Walmart is paying Paramount for it. Probably a wholesale rate, probably getting a good price for it. But still, you're paying for it. Well, and people may be becoming more aware of this as services like Amazon are changing their ad policies and now you may have to pay to watch your amazon prime video ad free 
That's right. Uh, as we've mentioned before, Amazon is adding an upcharge where if you want to remove ads in your uh, Prime Video content, it's two ninety nine a month. Thank you very much. A steal. But wait, there's more. I swear, we got another bundle that was put on my radar by listener Sean, who sent me an email from Instacart. Instacart Plus, because Instacart alone, not enough. You got to get Instacart Plus. And I tried to understand what you get with Instacart Plus. And it was such a mishmash of vague bonuses that I just gave up. And here's what I know. If you have an Instacart Plus membership, Peacock is included. Groceries and Peacock, a match made in heaven. Thank you so much for alerting me to this listener, Sean. I find it very entertaining. I I literally wrote in our notes, it's the Amazon Prime and Prime Video Playbook, but for groceries and Dick Wolf show set in Chicago. And if that isn't synergy, I don't know what is. I love groceries and I love... <laughs> Dick Wolf shows set in Chicago uh, sometimes. Sometimes enough. Sure, why not? But you know what else I love here on Streamageddon? I love a little network television. And uh, let's leave the bundles of streaming bundles behind. And let's embrace a show that we've talked about before that we want to revisit to give you our thoughts at the end of the season. We are, of course, talking about the Golden Bachelor. And yes, this would be a spoiler alert for the entirety of season one of The Golden Bachelor. If you are resisting somehow the spoilers about Golden Bachelor, but you're dying to hear our spoilers about the Marvels, well, you can skip ahead in your podcast app of choice. We'll have a little chapter marker when we transition to the Marvels. But uh, really, I have to say, if you're somehow avoiding spoilers for the end of The Golden Bachelor, I don't know how that's possible. I waited 12 hours to watch it on Hulu, and it was spoiled for me in a headline from People magazine. And I now think it would be okay if the AI replaced the writers of People magazine specifically. I don't know if we can blame the writers for the headline, but sure, okay. That, the that headline one. writers, sure, the editors. Honestly, AI can replace editors, let's be real. Not the hardworking TV and film editors who make beautiful visuals happen. They are no. priceless contributors to the craft. But if Agreed. you if you write headlines for clickbait, yeah, I'd, I'm not going to shed a tear. I'm sorry. Please don't give me a one-star review. Uh, were you going into this finale cheering for either of them, Chris? This is a great question. We went into the finale with Leslie and Teresa. I had been on Team Faith who was eliminated in the Hometowns week, the final three. And that hurt me very much. So coming into the finale, I had to do a little recalibration. And I had to look into my soul and ask myself, without faith in the mix, who are these women? Who did I want to hang out with and basically have a large cocktail with? And the answer came screaming just out of the void. I knew instantly, it's Teresa. Yeah, I was Team Teresa. Uh, and I and I still am. I think that the way that she conducted herself in the finale made me like her more. 
Yeah, and actually, I, I the finale was dramatic. I have to say, it was a riveting two hours of television, really well crafted, with some extremely emotional beats in it. Like, good work, again, to the editors, the genius editors who actually make reality television make any sense. Uh, fantastic. Uh, and and I thought, one, Teresa clearly did a good job of navigating how to present herself in these final uh, moments of the show, both the pre-recorded final decision that Jerry uh, Gary makes and uh, the live special that's airing simultaneously where she comes out uh, once they've revealed her as the winner. Uh, but also, the show crafted around that really well. And you could tell pretty early on in the finale that it was leaning in Teresa's direction and that there was something that clicked between Gary and Teresa in the fantasy suite or in the meeting Teresa, uh, Teresa meets Gary's kids and grandkids. Uh, and so does Leslie. The final two meet the, the family of The Bachelor. Uh, but something you could tell in those final meetings clicked really well for Gary. And you had a real sense early in the episode that he's leaning towards Teresa, which as a viewer of reality television means only one thing. They're either setting us up for a huge twist or they're setting us up for a huge twist. And what is the twist is the question. The twist mm. could either be, nope, it's Leslie, or better yet, what we got, no, it is Teresa, but he's not going to have a dramatic final rose ceremony where he reveals this. He's going to have a a truly emotional, uh, uncomfortable, but I also think kind of brave to to see on TV uh, final date essentially with Leslie, where he admits he's going to choose Teresa. And there are many moments where he could have chosen his words better, maybe, but he didn't choose horrible words. He did not break this to her in a callous way. It was, to me, riveting, because it was extremely human, that this was two humans trying to navigate an extremely emotional conversation that unfortunately was being filmed for a national television audience. Agreed. Though I also, in some ways think it was fortunately being filmed for a television audience because I enjoyed watching it. Well, I, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that it was filmed. I think that there seemed to be a moment, not only where as audience members, you could tell it was leaning Teresa, where I could see that Leslie could see that she was losing and she didn't know what had happened. And she seemed really upset and blindsided by the whole experience and so actually the moment when he, Gary, stepped out of their date, turned around and came back to the door, spoke with her and just was honest with her and said, yes, I've changed my mind. I've, you know, I've, I've chosen someone else, um, was actually seemed kind of honorable to me. I know that that is not how many of Leslie's supporters felt about it from things I've read online. But um, I think, you know, rather than making her wait a whole other day and wear the dress she says cost $60,000 to uh, go to this rose ceremony, he knew what was going to happen. And so he just told her then. Yeah, I, I agree. And I found that pair of scenes, essentially, uh, the the first part of that date, he leaves and then he comes back and there's the second part where he admits what's going to happen. I, that, that was some of the best television I've seen all year. 
mm-hmm. and two of the best performances. And they were mostly just being real. Obviously, some of it is I'm on reality TV in front of a camera, but that was some of the least put on I had seen anyone on that show all season. And truly the first part where you know she knows and you know he knows she knows, but they haven't said it out loud yet. They're talking in in this one-on-one final date and it's essentially the day before he's going to have the rose ceremony. She was the last of the two dates. And you can tell that he is trying to not... uh, set her up for even more disappointment. And she can tell that he is trying not to set her up for even more disappointment. And, you know, to her credit and to the credit of the many Leslie fans out there, he earlier in previous episodes had said I love you to her and had said things that made it seem like he was very close to choosing her. But of course, he also said those things to Faith, rest in pieces, Gary for doing that to Faith in front of her sons. But he also said it to Teresa. And I I believe him when he says he felt it with each one of them. You're in a compressed time. You're meeting these people. You're falling in, in love. I believe that he felt love for all of them. And there is a moment in any relationship where you can veer from I, I love you to, oh, I think I love who you are, but I don't love you. Or I love you, but I love someone else more than you. All of those are real things that happen over the course of relationships. Here, it's just compressed into an extreme uh, tight time span. Agreed. And I think that I, I, I think that he was being um, honest in those moments. I mean, we don't really know. There was a, an article that came out before the finale, days before the finale, which I think for some viewers definitely colored their impressions of Gary. It was in The Hollywood Reporter uh, a, about um, some things in Gary's past his uh, past relationships and his employment history that seemed to not line up with the story that he and the show had presented about his life. And I think, and some of the stories about his past relationship in particular, I did think, you know, what were um, really um, ugly, if true. At the same time, there seems to be an understanding with the bachelor franchise I think I'm saying this as someone basically new to the Bachelor franchise, that that's how this show works, that you are also people playing a reality TV game and that all of these people participating are adults and they are aware that he's dating other people. It's not like he's deceiving them about what's going on. And if he had, I think I would feel very differently about that finale and how he behaved with Leslie um, and even with Faith in the previous episode. Um, you know, they know that he's not only introducing them they to his family. They know that he's not only having overnight dates with them. Uh, so this sort of um reaction that i've seen from some places and some uh publications like the av club trying to claim that um this is immoral because they're seniors uh i found that really offensive and infantilizing they knew what they were doing they knew what they were getting into 
Yeah, I, 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 that AV Club article, the headline is literally, The Golden Bachelor is a Morally Corrupt Nightmare. And it is written by their Bachelor recapper, who earlier at the beginning of the season was singing the praises of The Golden Bachelor as representation of people who are not usually seen in this light, finding love late in life, people who are often sidelined by pop culture altogether, being put in the spotlight. And she, as it became more real felt differently and I, I i i am fascinated by that turn of emotional reaction but i agree with you that i as we said in our first review of the golden bachelor i find that opinion to be ironically dismissive of the elderly people playing playing this game they're both looking for love and they're also playing a game they none of them signed up thinking that this was a you know a speed dating event they signed up thinking this is a reality tv show where i am dating someone and may wind up getting married but it is that is the maybe part not every bachelor or bachelorette ends in a wedding but there is the possibility of of finding love and the game is the event to be there for and the hope of finding that is uh, in of a, in and of itself, I think, wonderful in this context. The Golden Bachelor, so much of what they leaned into in their positive spin on this is, I I was able to open myself up again. I was able to find love, or the, the hope of love again, or feel love again, even if Gary didn't choose me. And uh, I, they, many of them still said those things after they left the show, in the Women Tell All special, and in the finale special where they brought... Uh, Leslie back out the previous episode where Faith comes back out after she's been uh, revealed to be let go. Uh, Faith and Leslie are obviously very hurt, but they fulfilled what I'm sure is a contractual agreement with ABC to show up on the live specials. And they did it with dignity and they spoke uh, they, they spoke in a way that made me look at them as sort of role models for saying you can't go and and uh, find love or have an exciting new experience at any stage of life without the risk of getting hurt. Right. And also, I mean, there is an opportunity for all of these people to have greater roles in the Bachelor universe of shows. Um, this is also an employment opportunity for these people. Um, the idea that, like, they're only there to find love and that's their only goal no, it's not. I mean, they get different like spokesperson deals. Um, you know, some of them might go on to Golden Bachelorette or maybe they'll be, you know, Bachelor in Paradise Golden Edition. I don't know what that would look like, <laughs> yes. but I'm curious. Bring that on. Yes. <laughs> uh, I do think I, I texted uh, you uh, when we finally watched the finale that if Leslie is auditioning for the Golden Bachelorette, she aced the audition in the final episode. She came off as somebody who had heartbreak, who people were rooting for, but who could stand up to the man who broke her heart at the end of it and be on national television live and take that risk and be vulnerable. And that is all all of the above what you want out of the next contestant when they do that they often take the the runner up and they become the next it is not a guarantee and i did see in the finale uh coming back from one of the commercials do you want to nominate someone in your life to be the next golden bachelor or bachelorette let us know 
Uh, and the show was a hit. They are definitely going to do another one and probably many, many more. Uh, on the rating side, the finale was a high for the entire season and a franchise high for the first time in almost three years. So the last time they reached the ratings they got on that finale was spring of 2021. Wow. For any Bachelor franchise, that's really good. That's For, for a franchise of this age in particular, the, to, to be able to hit a, a, a not a new high for the, the whole series, but a, 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 to be able to recapture a high from a few years ago with a new spinoff, especially with one that might have had niche appeal, that, that gamble paid off for ABC big time. Yeah, and it played well with 18 to 49-year-olds, we know. So it's not just doing well with, you know, peers of this of the stars of the show. Yeah, in fact, I would say my parents have no desire to watch this. And speaking with other friends' parents around the holidays, uh, very few of them were intrigued. I, we were trying to maybe draft one of them to audition for Golden Bachelorette, and she still might do it. I think we were making inroads there, but... Uh, I, it, in a way, doesn't surprise me that the people most uh, excited about it are kind of across the board. It's not just, oh, this is an old people show for old people. This is a show for anyone who might enjoy The Bachelor or who might enjoy this kind of reality television or who love the novelty of it. Will I want to watch every season of this? I don't know. I don't, I've seen Bachelor and Bachelorette seasons in the past. I've tried to do the, like, Bachelor draft with friends who are really deep into it, and I often find it exhausting. The episodes are long, there's so many episodes to watch, like, two a week sometimes, and then references to this season and that season. And the more that Golden Bachelor veers into that, I, I don't know if I'll continue to find it as... Uh, interesting, as intriguing, as authentic, pick your word of the year, you know, uh, as this first season was. But the fact is, they took a risk and it won over a couple new viewers that you're listening to right now and played well across their existing Bachelor Nation viewership. That's a win-win. Agreed. And they announced a special happen happening on January 4th, which will be the Golden Bachelor wedding between Gary and Teresa, and I'm going to watch. I am too. We, we are going to watch together, I believe. I am excited. I've cleared my schedule that night because I am, I, I was annoyed that I couldn't watch the finale live. And this, even though there is very little tension to it, to have to see it live. Oh, they'll find a way to put tension in it. God willing. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. And I, I do want to mention, too, lie, a, a wedding episode, an actual Bachelor wedding episode, they have not done one in nearly a decade. The last Bachelor wedding episode was uh, over nine years ago. Well, also the idea, and we talked about this in our earlier reviews of the show, but uh, I don't necessarily want to watch a 23 and a 25-year-old model get married. No. No, and maybe no, the that sounds <laughs> like it would feel kind of gross. I, I don't know, but these two, I'm excited. I, I am, and I am. I hope it works out for them too. the The strangest moment for me in that finale is when Teresa finally comes out with Gary. They finally announced that this is the winner. They've gotten through the the tr kind of emotionally traumatic section with Leslie confronting Gary. All of this is done in this kind of split. Here's the episode as it was shot, you know, two months ago 
spliced in with a real-time live special hosted by Jesse Palmer. So these people are coming out as we're revealing on on the episode what's happening. Then they have to pivot back to, and now he gets to tell Teresa he picked her and wants to propose to her. And now Teresa's going to come out with Gary. Gary, who just, you know, had a very tough conversation on this very stage with Leslie. And they flip that. And and Teresa, again, does a fantastic job of playing the crowd and, and kind of understanding the moment and not not doing anything that made it feel disrespectful of Leslie and, and what we just saw. Uh, but the moment that got me was they were like, so how's it been now that you're engaged? And they're like, we talk on the phone every night. We're not in the same location yet. And at first I'm like, what? And then I remember they're under NDAs. If they were living together the whole show would be blown. And in fact, they are, you know, contractually forbidden from revealing that until it is public knowledge. And it does sound like from the uh, Annoying People magazine articles that ruined the surprise (laughs) for me, that they do plan on moving together and moving in together and that that is why they're getting married. Like, all of that. But the moment of, oh my God, after you proposed, you had to fly back to your hometowns and tell no one. Yeah, that's that sounds incredibly difficult. And I also found that proposal itself a bit odd. <laughs> yeah. I, he he uh, returned to a line that he had gotten from a previous bachelorette that he's used many times in this in this season. Um, he saw Teresa and he said, you're not the woman that I can live with and paused and then he said, you're the woman I can't live without and proposed. And um, but, you know, I did not like that. <laughs> I, I, didn't... I did not think that was romantic or smooth or particularly funny. It was like just awkward. And after that intense moment with Leslie, I didn't want that. No. And and I think they read the teeth, the room there and. The other articles that have come out since the finale insist that that pause was a gaffe, that he meant to just quote that line, but that the pause was like in the moment he froze up a little bit and he didn't mean to make it a a joke like that. I don't know, man. But I I do love that they instantly read the room and went, no. Yeah, that, that moment didn't play particularly well. In fact, like, even though I was cheering for him and Teresa, and I do think that, like, since the first episode, they've been the obvious pair. Um, since the hilariously tacky Don't Stop Believin' uh, flash mob at a 50s-style diner, yes. That the was fact the second one. That, the fact that they could both engage with that fully and not cringe through it like that is that telling that at that moment like wow if you two both think that this is a fun time and can can do it without like looking at each other going get me out of here you can get through anything yeah (laughs) truly that that episode was a little bit hard to watch wasn't it so their moments together because they're both so earnest are like slightly less compelling viewing than um his chemistry with some other people even though it seemed always apparent to me that they would be the couple even when the show tried to lead us to believe that uh other people were more exciting or like exciting to gary 
Yeah, in some ways, if you kind of go back through the season now, Teresa is a low-key main character in a way where you, you don't quite... She's not doing much uh, for a lot of the season. And they he acknowledges this, too, that there was sort of a lull for a while. She does, too, where she felt like maybe it's not the connection I thought. We kind of didn't have a lot of moments after the beginning of the season, but then we really did. And you're like, yeah, so the producers obviously had to string her through in some middle parts where he's dealing with all these women. And also, to be fair, he took her on a very, very early one-on-one date. And part of the game is you need to take a lot of them on the one-on-one dates. You can't just keep taking the same ones over and over again. That's not how it works. Right. Right. But she was always picked high up because of the drama that she had had with Kathy, one of the other contestants. Um, She was always really, like you said, a main character on the show. I, I, I did not feel as some people did that he had like changed his mind at the last moment. I think that was just the TV show trying to make it seem like he was actually torn and that he wanted Teresa from the go. Yeah, and and I I felt uh, there was a moment in the second to last episode where he finally, on camera at least, asks Teresa like, "What do you do?" <laughs> which which in some ways is a red flag if if you're on your final one on one date or going to the fantasy suite with someone and they go, "By the way, what do you do?" Pause and ask yourself, "Oh, am I about to sleep with someone who has no idea what I do?" But in the context of the show, not so bizarre. And the the at least that that version of that uh, encounter, that conversation, when she talked about her professional life and kind of going from being a housewife to a day trader to a self-made financial person whose job I don't totally understand because I don't understand financial people jobs, but it sounds legit. And it's clearly something she had to work against the odds to make happen and is proud of, but also not super like boastful about. She didn't introduce herself as like, I'm the money woman. Like, you know, at least in the way it was framed, it felt, wow, that's an authentic story. And regardless of how it was framed, the reaction Gary has in that scene, I felt, oh, he just fell in love with, like, her on a new level. And the devil's advocate that I've heard from a, a friend, let's say, is, yeah, he realized she has money. And perhaps that is part of it. But I also felt like he he suddenly saw a side of her that was ambitious and intellectual and had all of these interests outside of just being, you know, retired and or... Uh, having a dead spouse, which was the big thing they bonded on at first. And I do think it's key or important that they have that, but also that there's more to the relationship than just that. And so that moment, that scene, I went, I think it's over. I think he just, like, he just found the thing that tips it from, I think it's you to, I know it's you. And if that was all artificial, bravo to the show. They orchestrated that beautifully. Yeah, agreed. And I did have a moment where I wondered, oh, is this all about the money? I don't really think that it is. Um, I think at this point, they're going to make a ton of money from the success of the show, too. Like, they, I, I don't think that they'll need to worry that much about what their previous financial lives were like. I think almost every aspect of their life now will be changed. Uh-huh. Um, uh, because compared to other bachelor bachelorette contestants too they've gotten more press they've broken through the culture i think in a more substantial way um maybe because of the novelty definitely part of it 
uh, is the novelty. And obviously ABC realizes it because they instantly in the finale announced the live uh, wedding special and they are going to keep parlaying that. I do think we could see several of these women showing up as the kind of interesting side characters in other Bachelor Bachelorette shows in the future, the same way that previous contestants showed up to be judges for talent shows and things on Golden Bachelor. These these cast members are in the mix now, which is exciting in general, because again, women in their 60s and 70s who have no previous television experience, who found a way to make, you know, the viewing audience of this massive franchise that is mostly about hot young people fall in love with them and get excited about them. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, I really enjoyed getting to know them. That was the pleasure of the show for me, more so than Gary, who I was very charmed by as well. But uh, I'm excited. If it's one of my favorites, I might watch The Golden Bachelorette. I would. I would absolutely watch the next one. And I imagine there will be some diminishing returns as it goes on. But they did a good enough job with this season that when the Golden Bachelorette hits, I am there for that. Absolutely. And listener, I want to know, are you going to be there for that? Did you watch the Golden Bachelor? Did the discourse uh, freak you out and make you uncomfortable as it did for some people? Or did you find out that you are in love with love? Well, you can tell us. Podcast at streamageddon.com. But before we go, we have a little bonus review for you. We are going to jump right in to a uh, a spoiler-containing, though not super spoilery maybe, I don't know, discussion of the Marvels. But listen, if you haven't seen it in theaters yet, do you care if we spoil it? Just stay with us for a short discussion of Disney's Marvels, the Marvels. So, Diane, did you like the Marvels? Yeah. There you go. I did, I, I did too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. We liked it. We did love it. Have a nice day, everybody. I think that uh, the idea that the quality of the film is the cause of its uh, low box office performance is uh, ridiculous. I agree. And that's actually why I wanted to have this convo. We we are only occasionally a movie podcast, but this touches on the whole MCU and the Marvel TV shows on Disney+. And my, my biggest takeaway, I would just say, for the Marvels is it was clearly supposed to come out a year ago or... Ms. Marvel, the Disney Plus show that came out in summer of 2022, should have come out in fall of 2023. Something was wrong there. And and the, the biggest problem, I think, with this movie and with a lot of what's going on in the MCU right now is they're trying to interconnect things that are too far apart from each other because in the era of the movies when it was just the marvel movies and there were no tv shows we're we're not going to acknowledge agents of shield on abc we're just going to talk about you know the avengers saga um yeah okay of course there was like a couple movies a year they were pretty spread out because they're movies and movies are often spread out and i think they they got lulled into a sense of yeah it's okay if stuff spread out the movies were always spread out people kept up with it enough but this is one where 
I'm sorry. I don't I don't know if this movie was good for you if you haven't seen Ms. Marvel. They did a good job of filling in the backstory in the beginning, which was clearly done as they uh, reworked the movie for eight months. But I, I, I just think y- you were expecting us to come in off Ms. Marvel and to a lesser extent WandaVision. And WandaVision was over two years ago. And Ms. Marvel was over a year ago. And you, I, there's too many other Marvel things in the mix at this point. Too much Marvel. That to rely on this carrying the emotional weight of the Ms. Marvel story or the WandaVision uh, Monica Rambeau story. I'm sorry, you've distracted me with two seasons of Loki, with uh, the... Uh, Quantum Mania with the third Guardians of the Galaxy. There have been so many other things in the meantime that the through line isn't there. No, the the through line isn't there. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was totally up to date on everything in the MCU. And I still enjoyed this movie. I don't actually think you need that content. I get I feel like people thought that they needed to have done all this homework, but like the the plot points aren't like anything you wouldn't understand that you currently understood because some of it's confusing anyways. In all of the movies, some plot points are just a little confusing because the plots are always a little bit convoluted. Um maybe not for the most seasoned Marvel fans, but I would say for your average viewer Anything that's come out in the past two years has some points of plot confusion, but it's exciting enough and the stakes are clear enough that it doesn't really matter about the particulars of who are these green alien guys that we're saving or failing to save. Like, who cares? Really, I just care about, okay, Ms. Marvel is this character. They established her and her family, reestablished them well i think in the first act of this movie i think that was actually one of the more charming parts of the film and uh so i don't think you actually had to watch all that stuff i actually think that's a great counterpoint and and it's still you know the problem is still people felt like they had to yes yeah but also like i hadn't seen ms marvel i'm sorry uh captain marvel the original uh captain Uh marvel movie in years and I barely remembered the stuff they were talking about with, like, the supreme intelligence. And they're, yeah, they're these warring alien races. And some of them look like humans, but some of them are blue. But then the other ones are green. And, like, yeah, I, I got to be honest. They, they were trying to kind of fill in the backstory there. And I was like, honestly, don't. Stop. Just tell me, yeah, there's some backstory there. And here's what's going on now. You don't need yeah. to flash back and be like, remember that this is. As, the more they did that, the more I was like, actually, you don't need to. It doesn't matter that I don't really remember that because it's not really relevant here. And I, 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 I wonder, Diane, do you agree? Like, could they have gotten away with even less of that? Could they have spent even less time establishing who Kamala Khan is great to meet her family and the way they established that was good but there was like an opening kind of illustrated cinematic where she's like this is who i am i am ms marvel and i want to be best friends with captain marvel and i I didn't dislike it but honestly were they trying too hard to be like trust us there's a backstory here could you just take us on the ride instead 
Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I I think that they could have, and it probably would have been as effective, if not more effective. I did think that the the Kamala Khan stuff was really the the center and heart of the movie, and the clearest stuff um, in terms of like the structure of the film felt like it was built around her arc, and some of the other emotional arcs like Monica's and Captain Marvel herself's. Um, it felt like they were uh, a, a little shoehorned, a little forced, and and I just cared less about them. Even though I like the characters, they're perfectly fine and fun. Um, their their stories were just like maybe a little less uh, intricately drawn. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent with that. And I have I have many questions that can only be answered in a alternate universe but uh so much of the marketing going into this focused on captain marvel it's the sequel to captain marvel captain marvel captain marvel there was that awful trailer that featured clips of robert downey jr and the other avengers with captain marvel to remind you that captain marvel knew them knows them she's one of them and she's in this movie but the movie is the ms marvel movie and I wonder how much of that was we're panicked that people are having this backlash to all the the homework they think they have to do. And if we put this new face in it, they'll go, oh, no, I didn't watch that show. I can't do it. And how much of it was, well, we thought we'd have this exciting new actor. You know, she is such a, an electric performance as Ms. Marvel. Uh and we thought we'd be able to put her out in the late night talk show circuit. Maybe she would host SNL. Maybe we would get all this buzz for her. But the strikes were going on and they couldn't. And so they went, well, who's the known quantity we can advertise? Captain Marvel. Really? Yeah. And, and we'll never know how much was column A, how much was column B. But I did leave it going as somebody who really enjoyed Ms. Marvel. I would have been even more excited for this movie if you had told me it's the Ms. Marvel movie and Captain Marvel is there to sort of pass the baton on to Ms. Marvel in a way. Uh, and, and also, I think there's a way you could have pitched that as you don't need to know the Disney Plus show. We're introducing you to an exciting new generation of the MCU. Yeah, or I mean, this is very simplified and... I, I get that some people might not like this, but just say it's the girl power Marvels. You yeah. know, it, it's it's the Marvel series that has these three women characters. I guess uh, Ms. Marvel is technically a teen, but, you know, um, at the center of it. And, you know, they're they're kicking butt together. That's kind of the fun of the movie. It's not deep. It's not some provocative feminist statement. They're just having fun. It's funny, actually, as a movie. Yeah, and it's it's best when it is fun and funny. The absolute high point of the movie for me is in the first act when they are still uh, trying to understand why they're switching places. Their their marvely powers that make them the three marvels uh, get, get entangled and cause them to spontaneously switch places with each other when they use their powers and they happen to discover that in the middle of one of the most well-shot kinetic action sequences fight scenes that are taking place across three different locations with three different fights going on but all of it flows is clear easy to understand who's where what's happening and is fun 
because they're they're it's a little silly, but the stakes feel real. They're really in this fight. Real things are happening, but they are suddenly popping into other locations in the middle of a punch or the middle of a kick, and it is fun to watch. Yeah, agreed. And I think uh, brava to director Nia DaCosta, who I think in public statements, uh, uh, Kevin Feige and um, Bob Iger have both t- treated terribly. And uh, I'll be watching her career. I'm, I'm more interested in her. Uh, I hope she does something better than Marvel. Truly, truly. And if if I had to give my like broader complaint about the movie... Uh, besides my questions around the marketing, which are truly kind of unanswerable alternate universe questions. That's for the Time Variance Authority to investigate. Thank you very much. Uh, is, you know, the, the last third, which I feel about so many Marvel movies, just turns into a connect-the-dots CGI fight scene that loses some of that wonderful kinetic direction from the first fight sequence because suddenly most of it's happening on just green screen sets in front of bizarre backdrops that are hard to follow again. Like, the biggest difference for me was in that first fight scene, they're going in between a lot of physical locations, and obviously there's a lot of special effects and visual effects, but they're transported between physical locations where they're physically fighting with other people for the most part. And in the final fight scene, there's just stuff going on in this kind of nondescript space place. And then another nondescript space place appears. And the two nondescript space places, something bad is going to happen to the space. And then one of them saves the space. And I, at a moment there, went, I don't know who's on what side of what. Is one of them, is that the Earth side? Is that the not-Earth side? Is that the planet that the the, the, the alien people are from? I, I, like, I just, I lost it. And it wasn't uh, because the direction wasn't good. It was because it had reached a point of kind of incomprehensible, just CGI, this is the climax. The universe needs to be at stake for at least five minutes of the film. And so for five minutes of the film, the villain suddenly is going to blow up the universe for reasons that do not track with her existing motivation throughout every minute leading up to that moment. Whatever, man. And that is where it lost me. I am begging Marvel and filmmakers everywhere to abandon your plans for multiverse stories. We have seen so many of them. They are so overdone and they're hard to do well. A couple people have done them well, arguably, or at least to success. And I think, can we can we do a moratorium for now? It's just too much. I, I would second that. And unfortunately, the mid or end credits scene, depending on how you see it, where we tease the arrival of the X-Men in the MCU, thoroughly establishes that that's in another universe. It's, it's really gotten tedious. And that is the end of our rave review of the Marvels, a movie we both really enjoyed, to be clear. I did. I did. I just... I had a great time. I had a great time. And I wish that the movie had... uh, And I will say, actually, for all the retooling they did, they made a lean 90-ish minute, mostly funny action movie that for the most part knew that the strength was the three main characters. Those actresses, Mm -hmm. especially once they get together as a group, 
their strength was their scenes together and their action sequences together and their powers being similar but different and bouncing off each other and getting flipped around with each other. Really funny to see, like, Captain Marvel can fly. Ms. Marvel can't. And if they swap places when Captain Marvel's flying, Ms. Marvel's going to fall to her death. Like, moments like that leaned into who these characters are. And when the movie did that, it was great. And when it had to check the boxes required to complete the Marvel homework, the real homework wasn't needing to watch Ms. Marvel ahead of time. The real homework was, as is the case with a lot of these Marvel projects, teeing up the next thing at the end. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed enthusiastically. Uh, and But if you're, if you're home and, and eventually you can watch this on Disney+, Plus, uh, turn it on. It's worth your time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, spoken as somebody who regrets every minute of watching Quantumania on Disney+, Plus, you will not regret watching The Marvels. Whenever it eventually arrives on Disney+, Plus, we don't know yet, but it is leaving theaters swiftly, so uh, you, can, you can kind of prepare to watch it on Disney+, Plus, everyone, and I hope you do. They need to see a bump in some internal numbers to remind them that there's good stuff in that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's cute. Okay, that's a better ending for our review of the Marvels. Tell us what you thought. Podcast at streamageddon.com, and we will be back next week with even more Disney synergy. But first, you know what you have to do. Keep, Keep streaming. streaming. If you write headlines for clickbait, yeah, I'd, I'm not going to shed a tear. I'm sorry. Please don't give me a one-star review.